0: Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. Election 2018 is in full swing, and now is the time to figure out how you're going to vote. For this edition of our politics-focused series, Policy and a Pint, we're taking a look at Measure U, about establishing a sales tax increase in the city of Sacramento to maintain public services and to be used for new investments. Measure U would extend an existing half-cent sales tax voters passed in 2012 to restore budget cuts during the Great Recession and will expire on March 31st. It would also add half a cent, which city officials say will go towards affordable housing, job training, and economic development. The combined one-cent permanent sales tax would bring the total rate to 8.75% in Sacramento and would raise nearly $100 million a year. Opponents call Measure U a regressive tax on the backs of low-income and fixed-income residents. They also say the city hall may instead use the money to pay spiraling pension costs for its employees and that it needs to do a better job managing the money that it already receives. We're at Antiquity Midtown Sacramento to have a discussion with panelists who are giving us the straight talk on Measure U and what it will mean if you vote yay or nay on it.
1: Welcome to California Groundbreakers. Uh, We're here tonight um, talking about Measure U, which is a City of Sacramento ballot initiative that's going to be on the general ballot for uh, city residents. And I just want to say, uh, first off, my name is Vanessa Richardson. I'm the executive director of California Groundbreakers based here in Sacramento. And we're a civic engagement organization focusing on highlighting and profiling innovators doing groundbreaking things around uh, Sacramento, Northern California, and the entire state. And we do these in great venues like tonight's venue, Antiquity Midtown in Midtown Sacramento. We do cocktail conversations with wine and beer uh, to make dry and sometimes tough topics more relevant, more relatable, try to get the uh, panelists to relax and and uh, speak in straight talk and uh, try to make these fun uh, tonight uh like i said this is one of our policy in a pint events uh that's our monthly discussion on politics and policy that's coming out of the the capitol and city hall and how that affects you and me as taxpayers as voters as residents and obviously because it's an election year we're focusing our uh, current policy and pint events on on what's on the ballot in terms of initiatives and races but we don't call them debates, we call them discussions. We'd like to have discussions with panelists, whether they're for, against, or neutral uh, on an issue, just to give a straight talk. So we can understand it more clearly, and we know what it really means if we vote yes or no on a measure or in a race. So, uh, the t- topic tonight, we kind of, we gave it a theme, how are you gonna vote on taxes? So we just talked about Proposition 6, which is on the state ballot. Obviously, this is a city-focused ballot, Measure U. And I wanna make sure I got this this succinctly um, put here. It is about establishing a one-cent sales tax increase permanently in the city of Sacramento to maintain public services and to also be used for investments in youth affordable housing and inclusive economic development, I'm sure among other things. So I'm thinking I got, I'm hoping I got that right. So that's what we're gonna be discussing uh, in this hour. Before we get started and the panelists uh, introduce themselves and get started talking, I wanted to give some thanks here on the podcast for people who made this event possible. Like I mentioned, we're at Antiquity Midtown, so I, I want to give a special thanks to uh, the owners, Sharon Wilson and Marcy Hose, for hosting it and pouring great wine. Uh, obviously, uh, we have beer as well, because what would policy to Pint be without beer? Roost dollar Beer here in Sacramento has been uh, generously supporting us with donations of beer and, and beer sales, so I want to give a shout-out to the owner, J.E. Paino. I also want to give a a shout-out to volunteers who are helping tonight. It's Rodrigo Ramirez. Thank you very much, Rod, for being here. Uh, Obviously, the panelists I want to thank. It's a very busy time for you both right now, so I appreciate you taking time out to come. And, of course, to the audience out there who have also made time out of a busy schedule uh, to come and listen in person. So for those of you here in the audience and, and listening, Uh, This is going to be 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes of me asking questions of the panelists, followed by 20 to 30 minutes, up to 30 minutes of audience Q&A at the mic. So I want the panelists to introduce themselves uh, so we can get to hear their voice and, and know a little bit about them besides whether they're a yes or no on Measure U. So I wanted to ask you, obviously, besides your name, your current role in organization, and, and for a personal note, since we are talking about Sacramento and the city and what it has to offer, and, and um, I wanted to ask you about your favorite place in Sacramento, whether it's a a park that you like to hang out, a restaurant, a bar with a great happy hour, historic monument that you just think represents and embodies what we should enjoy and admire about the city. So let me start with the gentleman on my left.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, this is a great space and a great event. Um, my name is Zach Yates. Uh, my, uh, normal job is working for uh mayor daryl steinberg as his director of civic engagement but i am currently on leave uh full time to work on measure u um, which we'll talk about more Um, but i am a resident of hollywood park and um really am enjoying um you know a lot of the activity that's going on on franklin boulevard and on freeport boulevard right around my neighborhood um we have I mean, this was a big selling point for my wife because she loves cider. So we have two rivers, um, really close to our house in Hollywood Park, and I have Fountainhead for myself, also a nice little neighborhood brewery in our uh, community. Um, so really, we've lived there now for two years and really are just enjoying getting to um, get more familiar with that neighborhood.
3: So Zach, are you here tonight because of the pints in the name of this program? <laughs> <laughs> Um I'm Craig Powell and I happen to chair the No on Measure U committee. I'm also the president of Ion Sacramento, which is a local government watchdog organization and policy advisory group and I'm a retired uh, attorney and a fifth generation Sacramento and I live in Land Park. And I suppose the uh, my favorite place in Sacramento is, is William Land Park itself. Um, I happen to head up the um, volunteer organization called uh, the Land Park Volunteer Corps, which deploys about 100 volunteers or, or more each month. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a labor of love for all of us involved. And we've had to really do that work because the city had, had fired and laid off half of all park workers during the last recession and never fully re- uh, restored those positions. Uh, and I enjoy a good beer along with Zach.
1: Well, Thank you I'm, for having me. I'm glad. I'm glad that it was the pints that uh, drew you to this event, uh, and hopefully the policy discussion too. Thank you both. Um, so let's start with you, Zach. I wanted to obviously every measure has uh, a history, a background, and a reason why it's on the ballot. So for Measure U, uh, there's obviously an original version. This is not a brand new thing. So I wanted you to explain to us, you know, Measure U how it started. Uh, how it started as, and how this new version, I guess, we're voting on, uh, is structured. Um, the sales tax, you know, what exactly uh, it uh, encompasses, and uh, what the money is earmarked for, if it passes.
2: Great, thank you. Well, so a little bit of history of Measure U. Um, Measure U was initially passed um, during the height of the recession in 2012, um, really to restore essential city services are being cut Um, as Craig just mentioned. A lot of our park and rec um, uh, workers were cut. We lost a lot of police officers. We actually had rolling brownouts with our fire um, uh, department, which means at some point across the city, we didn't have adequate emergency response services. It's pretty dire times. Um, So uh, the city council put on the ballot, um, a half cent sales tax um, that now generates about $43 million a year. Um, And it's projected to generate, I think, about $47 million next year. Um, That goes to fund. um, We restored about 90 positions within the fire department, about 190 within public safety um, and police, um, about 137 for parks and recreation, which has allowed us to restore community service hours in some of our most disenfranchised neighborhoods, um, have free youth programming, um, and reopen our city pools. I mean, it seems like a small thing, but really... It adds a lot of quality of life to a neighborhood, and we had council members doing telethons to keep them open for a weekend over the summer during the recession. So, really did bring back a lot of essential and vital city services. Um, And it expires in April. So, uh, we want to renew it. Um, And we want to renew it, but we want to um, renew it at a full cent so that we can also start tackling some of the really critical issues that we face as a city. Um, We're one of the fastest growing cities. Um, we have a huge affordable housing um, crisis at the moment in Sacramento. We have a homeless crisis. Um, and we have a real issue um, among economic development, especially inclusive economic development. We had, we've we seen some areas of the city really recover well from the recession. Um, but there are a lot of neighborhoods that are left behind and left out. Um, who haven't seen that same growth or recovery. Um, We actually have more neighborhoods in poverty now than we did before the recession. Um, So the idea is how do we connect the economic growth to those neighborhoods um, that aren't seeing that benefit and really invest in workforce development so that those youth um, are first in line for the new economy jobs we're trying to attract here. Um, We have opportunities to partner with UC Davis to really try to make, I think, bioscience and biotech maybe that third, finally that third industry. Government is great, healthcare is great, but government's very vulnerable to recession. Um, And if we were to really diversify our economy, we need to have the capital to be able to invest, be able to attract those industries, and to prepare our youth um, for those jobs. And so that's the general idea with the renewal that we're going after now.
1: So for the numbers, where does the sales tax stand now? Um, And if Measure U passes, what would the sales tax be And uh, part two would be, where does that stand, I guess, in in terms of sales tax for cities in in the region or statewide? Where would we stand?
2: Absolutely. So um, the sales tax currently is 8.25%. and would um, go to 8.75%. And for the big 11 cities, which we're a part of, it would be probably about middle. I mean,
1: 11 cities statewide of or the big
2: 11 who have big over 11. what is the number? I think 350,000 or something along those lines. Um, don't hold me to that, I don't have that, uh, the top of my head. Um, but we, comparing to those, we'd be somewhere in the middle of the pack,
1: okay. So Craig, then obviously you said you're the chair um, for No One Measure U. So explain why you are not against Measure U, uh, or expanding it. What are the reasons you see for it not working? Or-
3: you mean the reasons why I am against it? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I meant. Uh, just a few clarifications. Um, the. Uh, if, if this measure was passed, it would, it would move us from a, as Zach said, a 7.75 sales tax to an 8.75. That would be the highest sales tax in the entire Sacramento region. Um, and uh, it would even put us higher than the city of San Francisco, which has only an 8.5% sales tax. And that's a very wealthy, affluent community it would i believe be the highest in the valley if not uh, if not one of the highest and the problem we have is that incomes in the central valley and in sacramento simply lag those of the pricier coastal cities where these these higher sales tax rates uh, are in place uh, and as a matter of fact sacramento as uh, is, is measured against the rest of the region has the lowest per capita income of any city in our region so the gross injustice of this measure is that it would impose the highest tax rate on the population that's the poorest, least able to pay it. And when you're of modest or low income or a senior on a fixed income, uh, when you get hit with a, with, a, with a regressive sales tax hike and the sales tax is the you know sine qua non of regressive taxation, then you have to sacrifice some some necessities of life. You you don't have the ability or the discretionary income to to make up for it some other way. So you're gonna sacrifice clothing or food or medicines or, or other essentials. And that's the brutality of a very major sales tax hike. And it's particularly acute here where we would be the highest rate in the, in, in the area with the lowest income. It's also uh, very hard to stomach this when we received a recent report that Sacramento has the fourth fastest growing poverty rate in the country. Um, with San Francisco being number one. And it's these sorts of impacts is why the um, NAACP last week came out against Measure U, the Chicano Coalition came out against it, as well as the Sacramento Taxpayers Association. So there's kind of a rainbow coalition of folks who are are standing opposed to this. Now, um, the mayor, using his influence, has certainly been able to corral the traditional organizational endorsements for this, but the, the groups that are independent and speak for the people, uh, those folks understand the impact of this on, on, on stressed budgets. Uh, so we have a fundamental fairness problem. Our, our objections to this measure really fall into three categories. One is, is it's acutely unfair. Two, there's a lack of trust in the city spending this as the mayor has been promising around town. And number three, there is simply no need for it. And uh, I can maybe address more of that in response to other questions, Vanessa.
1: Well, uh, yes, and I think there was something else that maybe you were quoted saying, or I've, I've seen other people say in terms of some of this money may go to pensions for city and employees. Um, so I had a question, that led me into the question for you, Zach, the next one, and Craig, you can expand on that uh, later. But in terms of, you know, a breakdown of where the money would go. Uh, Is it, if Measure U passes, does the city already know we're going to allot uh, this much money for, say, 2019-22 public services, this much for youth, this much, or does it depend? Like, how would the fiscal accountability aspect come into play at City Hall if Measure U passes?
2: Absolutely, and actually, if I can respond to a couple of things real quick that Greg said. I mean, we do have a pretty remarkable coalition of folks strongly backing this, um, uh, measure from the urban league and Roberts family development center, um, and boys and girls club and a number of other organizations who are working every day in the trenches, trying to improve the lives of our, um, some of our lowest income and, um, most disadvantaged residents in our city. Um, we also have the backing of the, uh, Metro chamber of commerce, and the Sac Central Labor Council and building trades who rarely or ever on the same page uh, of any measure. Um, We have the backing of Bill Black and a number of civil rights organizations along with our Police Officers Association um, and Local 522. All of these organizations um, really understand the importance of maintaining these vital city services and giving the city tools to try to tackle some of these challenges. Um, And then in terms of where the funding Um, will go in terms of um, committee, and this is actually really, it's a technical um, but important distinction to understand um, when it comes to voting thresholds. So if we were to lay out a expenditure plan that said this is exactly how we're going to spend the money over the next few years, uh, we would take the threshold of the tax to a two-thirds requirement of a vote. which, in my opinion, is kind of backwards. um, (laughs) So the more specific you are, the harder it is to pass. Um, But if we were to um, maintain a vote threshold of 50%, um, then it has to go into the general fund.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yes, because I know there's some taxes where... It needs to have a two-thirds vote, and somewhere it's just a, uh, a majority. And yes. that's how it's decided?
2: That's how it's decided. And so we've had other measures. We had a very specific infrastructure measure, Measure B, that got 65% of the vote and failed.
1: That, that was the last uh, the last election. Yeah.
2: We also had a Measure Y, which was a set-aside of funding from uh, um, the marijuana sales that would go to fund youth programs directly. It got 66.2% of the vote, I think, and failed. So with a measure this important, we can't take that risk. Um, and so what we have done is we have taken what was before kind of a, you know, I think uh, Mr. Powell has critiqued it in the past to the, the oversight committee, which was a five-person committee of the previous measure U, which basically provided like a rubber stamp of setting and spending the money, where it said it would spend it, um, and increasing that to a really diverse, broad group of 15 individuals um, they'll be appointed from across the city and have criteria in terms of diversity in terms of expertise to provide input and oversight of this renewed uh, measure you um, so that we're able to um, Make sure the public is confident that they have a really robust oversight metrics like built into the um, Into the measure and so along with that we also have an additional um, um, committee that's being created, which is a little broader, but really tackles our, um, inclusive economic development framework that we're trying to make a big priority citywide. And these folks are going to help us develop, uh, the metrics. What do we see as a success? So while we can't lay out exactly how we're going to spend every dime here, are the outcomes we want to see here, here are how many jobs we want to create in these zip codes. Here's how many housing starts we're gonna create in these zip codes. Here's how many youth we wanna be trained in these professions prepared for these industry jobs in the zip codes that we know need um, the resources the most. And so that's the way we're trying to tackle the accountability while still you know, not hamstringing ourselves with the 66.6 vote threshold, which is a very challenging threshold to reach.
1: Can you name names of people who are on the uh, on the the fifteen-person list or the the overall one? Can you? No, be,
2: because it hasn't. We d- we don't have a measure yet okay. that they're going to oversee. Um, that process will start um, right after the hopefully the measure is passed. Um, and we do strongly encourage folks to apply because some there are about eight members will be appointed um from each of the council districts and then there'll be application process for the others because as grace mentioned there's sometimes been vacancies on the previous measure you because folks didn't apply so hopefully we'll work on making that an open and transparent and
3: uh, public process to be a part of that committee
1: craig i can tell you want to respond
3: yeah there's a lot to unpack there uh first of all uh the failure to, to seek, uh, pursue a special tax, which would require a two-thirds majority vote, means there's no legal obligation whatsoever of the city to fulfill any of the 15, at the last count, promises that the mayor has been making around town no about how this money would be spent. Uh, so the, the, the promises are, are ephemeral, uh, and you have to trust uh, the city council to how they spend the money, but but there's a threshold problem with that, and that is is that CalPERS, our California Public Employees Retirement System, and city staff have advised the city council, informed them, that they face a looming huge annual increase in the city's pension bill. How big is it? $62 million more per year. It'll kick in in about four to five years. It'll ramp up to that point uh, between now and then. So all other things being equal, uh, with city current city revenues is essentially basically covering rising city costs, when you have a $62 million legal bill that you have to pay, and it is a legal bill, you can't kick that bill down the road or dodge it or spin it, with that claim hitting the, the, the city budget with full force in four to five years, This $50 million net new tax revenue, that measure you would raise, would be 100% vacuumed up by the CalPERS pension bill. That's mathematical reality, and there's no way to get around that. And the mayor, in every forum that I've been at, uh, and and with his surrogates, uh, we've challenged them, what is the the Steinberg plan for, for funding pension, this huge pension bill? And there is no such plan. They'll say, well, we're going to hire consultants or we're going to do things more efficiently or whatever, but there's simply no specificity on how they're going to address it. And I understand their dilemma because there is no way to do it the way they have been running city government to this point. And as a consequence, unless there's a dramatic way and they run city, in the change in the way they run city government, 100% of measure you new revenues, the 50 million, will go to the pension bill, which means all this discussion about how how it's going to be spent is largely an academic exercise. Now, the accountability measure that Zach mentioned, um, this is really ephemeral. This is window dressing. This is to give a false sense of security to voters that there's real accountability over how the money would be spent. But to determine how effective this this Citizens' Oversight Committee will be under Measure U, we really have to look back and see how effective the Measure U Oversight Committee is under the first Measure U. And they've had vacancies. They have, they have not even had a meeting for almost two years. They've had chronic vacancies they haven't bothered to fill. And in the course of the five years of the existence of the existing Measure U Oversight Committee, they have passed along only a single um, recommendation to the City Council. And it was the same recommendation city staff had made every year that Measure U has been in existence. And that record recommendation was that they start parking some of the Measure U revenue into a transition fund so that when Measure U expired, they could wean themselves off relatively easily and then rely increasingly on rising organic uh, revenues of the city. City Council didn't want, didn't want to do that. They wanted to spend it all. So here we have the one recommendation that was made by the existing advisory committee was re- was rejected. Uh, so that does not bode well in public trust and how effective this new oversight committee would be, which is purely advisory in the first place. Now, with regard to endorsements, um, you named a number of nonprofits. I know that at least two of the three are recipients of city funding, uh, and that tends to have sometimes colors, the, the political positions they need, be, may have on a proposed tax. And there's certain leverage that politicians have over the leaders of nonprofits who take in funding from the city. So I think that has to be looked through that lens. Uh, with regard to the Metro Chamber, um, we're very disappointed in the Metro Chamber. We don't believe it's reflective of, of the business community. And the other competing organization in town is called Region Business, which has been exploding in membership and impact. And they have vehemently opposed and come out against Measure U uh, with a statement that nothing could harm business more than raising taxes on it. And we're very concerned about the impact on on small business because it'll set up a 1% differential between the tax rate imposed on Sacramento merchants compared to what consumers will have to pay if they go across the river to West Sacramento or they go down the road to Elk Grove or up to, up to Roseville, and particularly on big dollar purchases. So, uh, you know, we've already raised parking fees dramatically in Sacramento to help fund the arena, that's hurting Midtown uh, merchants as it's scaring away uh, buyers and consumers. Now we're laying on this additional burden, so it's harmful not only to residents, but to our business community, our retailers, which could have an impact on, on retail employment. As, as as well so we have serious concerns across the board uh, on this and but but really the biggest one gets back to the pension bill if you have a 62 million dollar bill and you get 50 million in new income and all other things being equal what are you going to do how I mean, we know where that money's going to go and my feeling as a longtime time sacramentan is there's going to be a tremendous sense of public betrayal when this reality confronts the city if Measure U passes. Now there's a plan B that I think everyone needs to know. It was mentioned in the Sacramento Bee the other day by Jay Chenier, it's been mentioned by Jeff Harris.
1: These are city councilmen.
3: That's right. And it was mentioned the night this was passed by the city council and, and uh, council member Jeff Harris stated, look, we all know if Measure U does not pass, we're going to be here soon thereafter and we're gonna be calling a special election in the spring to ask people to simply renew the existing expiring half percent sales tax. Now, Mr. Harris had urged the mayor to include that as an option on this ballot in November. He thought it would be fair to give voters the option of keeping a current tax in place or doubling it as this measure you would do and the mayor strongly opposed and used his council majority to prevent the voters from having that option to simply extend the expiring measure you half percent sales tax and we think that's unfair we think it was done for sheer political reasons. Number one, we knew he knew that if voters had the option to vote just for an extension and not double. The tax, that would be more likely the one they chose. And number two, I think he wanted to keep voters in fear of budget cuts if this Measure U at a 1% level uh, was not passed. Well, voters need not have that fear. They can confidently vote down this Measure U and with the confidence of knowing they'll have an option in the spring to continue the half percent expiring tax if they wish to do so to avoid budget cuts.
1: All right, Zach so I can tell you want to respond uh, the, the pension costs the accountability and then uh, I do have a question about alternatives but let's let's so uh, get I'm, your I'm trying
2: to keep track of where what all Craig covered there because there's quite a bit um, let's start with the recommendations from the the committee um, and it's true there's only one thing over the last um, six years that uh, they dis- that they had an issue with only one. Um, the money went exactly where the city said it would go, which was going to fund vital city services, restore emergency response, restore public safety services, reopen parks, maintain library services. There was never any criticism of how that money was spent. The only recommendation was that we spend less, but we didn't want to fire people. So. That decision was made, and this is why we're looking to renew it because you don't want to blow a $50 million hole in our city budget and have to be back in a situation where we're picking and choosing what essential city services are most vital. Um, and then just moving on to the small business, I mean, we are very proud to have the um endorsement of the downtown Sacramento partnership that represents a ton of small businesses um, in Sacramento, um, the macro partnership and number of other um, uh, small businesses across the city. Um, And Craig mentioned a backup plan. Um, The backup plan is a plan to defeat Measure U. Um, Just um, fair and plain and simple. Um, The electorate in a special election called in spring, a few months after a general election, is going to be very small and very conservative, and not inclined at all to renew Measure U. Um, so this is when um, the next regular scheduled election, um, before the ex- expiration of Measure U, was up. So this was our opportunity to renew it and to make a um, to state clearly the vision that the mayor and council have um, for these revenues and for the future of our city moving forward.
1: So, and I saw you shake your head when Craig was saying this money may be vacuumed up for pension, for pension, covering the pension costs, and you shook your head. So I I wanted you to address that in terms of, you know, what's the response to people's concerns, like maybe this money is just gonna go to to cover pensions.
2: Absolutely, no, the city has for a long time now um, recognized that we need to have tough conversations with our uh, labor unions, and we've had really strong negotiations and um, done a lot to um, curb some of those long-term liabilities. We've eliminated retiree health care for all new employees outside of fire who now contribute 50% um, to uh, things. We have uh, pre-recession, we had 11 city employees per 1,000 residents. We're down to nine currently. Um, and we will continue to try to tighten our belt and find these savings so that we can cover these pension um, liabilities without um, having to dip into these Measure U resources, um, especially being able to uh, tap into um, additional marijuana revenues that are coming into the city um, and recognizing that this is a statewide issue. Um, this is not this pension. uh a concern is not a Sacramento issue. It's has tweaked its forecast. And so all cities across the state um, are facing this challenge and it will take a statewide response. And I guarantee you with this governor and um, other leaders from around the state, especially the mayor's position leading the big 11, we're going to come up with creative ways to deal with these pension liabilities that leave the Measure U dollars for exactly what we're talking about here today, which is maintaining the vital city services but also providing this inclusive economic development framework so we can grow a robust economy, generate the revenue so that we can not only deal with these long-term liabilities but really start investing in the future of our city and the future of these neighborhoods that need that direct investment.
1: Um, Before Craig responds, I I did want to invite people in the audience if you have questions for both of these gentlemen to to line up the mic. because I know you have great questions uh, and I have some as well, but if you want to start lining up, please do, and then Craig, if you want to respond.
3: Yeah, with regard to endorsements by um, these local property improvement districts, um, I don't know if you know this, Zach, but they have to have their budgets approved by the city council each year, which tends to make them less than you know, strong advocates, independent advocates for the business community. Uh, as far as turnout in the spring, uh, the mayor has a tremendous fundraising advantage over us. I think at last county raised about eight, he's raised about eight hundred thousand dollars to our I think we're at one hundred and fifty thousand or thereabouts. He's going to have no trouble ginning up turnout with that sort of profound fundraising advantage. Uh, and you've talked about creative ways of closing this this paying this pension bill. I'd be curious to hear more about what your creative ways are. One thing you mentioned is. You're up for some. You've had some tough discussions with uh, the city's bargaining units. You've had strong negotiations. Well, was it strong negotiations that led to the city to give the city's police union a 20% raise this year?
2: Absolutely. If I get that, can I respond to that question? Yeah, I mean, we have asked um, our unions to make sacrifices, like eliminating retiree health care for new things, but for new employees. But our police department was and it's well documented their salaries were well below our surrounding cities and we were hemorrhaging staff um to other um cities who were able to offer better packages and so in order to retain especially um this really critical time to retain senior level staff who we have invested a ton of resources in training um in crisis intervention training and um and all other levels of training that our police department gets, um, that makes them very valuable to other departments surrounding us, um, we wanted to make sure we had some retention incentives for our officers so we could keep the best and the brightest here in Sacramento,
3: um, making sure our communities are safe. Well, that was a, a certainly a detailed answer uh, to my question, Um, but here's the thing. That 20% raise has an echo effect on city pensions that's really profound because uh, pensionable pay or, you know, the pension benefits is defined by what your salary is. So when you increase uh, the largest, most expensive section of the the city budget, their pay by 20%, you, you really have a dramatic increase in pension liability. So you're moving in the wrong, the exact opposite direction where you need to to get control of this pension monster. Uh, now, I think really the, the real cause of the problem with the police department uh, was not so much the pay differential, but a serious morale problem with the police department. We did an analysis looking at uh, controller numbers on what officers who were moving from Sacramento to other places, how much of a pay raise they got. And we found it was almost non-existent. Mm-hmm which told us that it's really morale that's been crashing in the Sacramento Police Department that's been the main driver of these officers moving out. And that's not something that can just be solved by money. Money can help, but it doesn't really solve a morale problem. So I think we have a management problem with, that, with the relationships with, with the SPD, and I hope we uh, we get some, some progress on that. With regard to retiree health care, You've repeatedly mentioned that you've eliminated the benefit for for new employees, but the problem is the city has a $400 million unfunded liability to pay for retiree health care benefits for existing employees, and the city's had numerous opportunities in recent years to rein in those costs through a number of possible reforms that city staff has laid out for the council. And the city has repeated, the council has repeatedly failed to take up any of those reforms, which means that that keeps clocking up at a cost of $28 million a year, adding to more and more to that unfunded liability. So we have, we have real problems for that. Now, you mentioned that uh, you're proud of the fact that we've reduced the number of employees per thousand from 11 before the recession to nine today. Um, And I have to say, I disagree with that. Our city services are a function of how robust our city workforce is. I think that's a negative sign. I think we're moving backwards in terms of the quality and quantity of city services when we we make those kind of whacks. The city handled the recession in precisely the wrong way. It did it by firing people. That's not only inhuman, but it also sacrifices the city services, the core city services upon which we each rely. The better course would have been reining in compensation for, for existing employees. Avoid the layoffs. And and when, when I talk about how we do not have a need for a Measure U, what I'm really referring to, Vanessa, is that ION Sacramento tomorrow, the organization which I also lead, is holding a press conference tomorrow and we're going to be releasing uh, our our report that we've worked on for several months. It's called a blueprint for a post Measure U Sacramento, subtitled "Beyond Our Pay More Get Less Government."
1: So that was a question I had. Uh, well, actually, I want to ask Zach if you want to respond because I did want to move on to another question. And one was maybe an alternative to Measure U. So Zach, I just if you had any right. follow up to Craig's comments well, there.
2: It was definitely uh, not trying to imply that. I was proud that we have uh, nine city employees per thousand uh, residents compared to previously. Just the reality of the situation is that we've had to um, be more efficient as a city. Um, you know, Revenues still are just barely back um, to what they were pre-recession uh, levels, and that's only because of Measure U. Um, without Measure U adjusted for inflation, our 2007-2008 um, general fund revenues would be five percent higher than what they are currently um
3: i don't don't know
1: let them finish don't know about
2: that well i mean it's if you plug in the numbers into the bureau of labor statistics inflation calculator it's five percent higher back then so yeah the the reality is is that it's not done out of any sort of joy it's done out of necessity and i'll like red talk about the blueprint.
1: Yes, cuz I wanted to move on to to this. I think this may hopefully tie into the question I had about, you know, an alternative to measure you or a suggestion for if measure if you don't like measure you, um what what would work. And I was wondering if there were models that maybe Sacramento should look at, other cities that here in California are doing something, other states, other countries, uh when it comes to, you know, financing and managing these pressing issues. Uh, is that uh summarized or is there something in this report that you're going to release that talks on that or you know if if not measure you then an alternative
3: the alternative is to rein in city spending and what the report includes is 22 very specific cost-saving recommendations that ion sacramento is making to significantly re- reduce city costs And we have identified over $125 million worth of spending reductions that could be made without any reduction in the level of core public services. And most of it is along the lines of what I was talking about before, becoming, uh, uh, is is trimming uh, excessive spending on labor costs, uh, renegotiating contracts to eliminate benefits that are no longer necessary and are obsolete. Perfect example of that is the retiree health care benefit. Since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, uh, lower paid uh, pensioners, pensioned employees, don't need uh, the city's retiree health care benefit because they're fully eligible for pension support subsidies under the ACA. Whereas the more affluent, higher paid pensioned employees, principally firefighters and, and police officers, almost all of whom who work today will retire at over $100,000 a year of pension income, certainly have the means of paying for their own health care costs until they become fully eligible under Medicare. So that's just one example, and there's example after example. Probably the largest dollar amount really comes from moving us from our current arrangement where city employees pay only 25% of their own pension costs and increasing that percentage up to 50%. Now, I'm not talking about any reduction in pension benefits at all. We're simply saying that... City employees ought to pay their fair share, and we believe 50% of the pension cost is the fair share. That one item alone saved $30 million once phased in. Uh, And the city police, receiving a 20% raise this year, even if we implemented this requirement in one year, moving them all up to 50% contribution for the pensions, would still come away with a net raise. So, and, and there's another 20 other recommendations in here, and what it really does is it demonstrates, um, it's very detailed, it's a 40-page single spaced report, and it was done in collaboration with uh, Ms. Marcia Fritz, who is one of the state's uh, most recognized pension reformers. She's a 30-year uh, uh, CPA with long experience auditing local units of government. Uh, she's been an instructor to others on government accounting. And so she's assisted us in, in analyzing, uh, given her familiarity with local government uh, labor practices, assisted us in preparing uh, the report and identifying the saving opportunities. So basically, we don't need a Measure U, because the Measure U would raise $100 million, $50 million of which would be new, 50 continuing the existing one. We've identified upwards of $199 million worth of savings opportunities. Now we're saying it's 125, but if you add up the numbers, it's 199, and so we consider this something of an a la carte menu. We're not recommending the adoption of all of them, but we are saying that the city council could pick and choose from this list uh, and realize that the more cost savings than what measure you would raise, which would free, free up more resources to do the high priority uh, services and, and, and programs and projects that are important to the people than Measure you would. Uh, so this is a, a, a critical change in thinking and approach to city government moving away from what, what we refer to as our current pay more, get less government and moving to one where we have greater respect for the average citizen who's burdened with these taxes and people can get a better quality and, and level of public services.
1: OK, and then yes, obviously when this report comes out tomorrow, we'll we'll link to it and, and make it uh widely known. So Zach, your response?
2: Yeah, well, I also look forward to reading this report. I've been looking forward to it for months since it was said to be on your website months ago. Um, the uh, And I understand why it's taken so long to come out um, because $125 million is 25% of our general fund revenue. The idea that we could remove 25% of our general fund revenue and not impact city services is baffling to say it gently um so we do look forward to to this as well i'm sure and you know maybe there are great recommendations in there um but the reality is is that we can't flick a magic wand um and and have these uh negotiations um go away and we can't flick a magic wands and break promises with people we made promises or who worked for the city for um uh, their lives to our city so we look forward to the, to looking at this report and um, diving into it um, alongside Ukraine. And I guarantee you, there are no
3: magic wands in it, thing.
1: So, I had a question. Obviously, there's a lot. I don't want to say in the weeds, but pension costs and public services are a big part of spending, and and uh, obviously, there's a lot behind it. Um, I wanted to ask about the the other. Um, Areas that the city would like to to tackle. Obviously, you were saying, you know, affordable housing is a big deal, homelessness is a big deal. Uh, Youth, I think I I saw youth and uh, economic development in underserved neighborhoods. Are there more specifics about um, those four areas that, you know, if there's money to cover it, that the city would do? Specifics for those, um, you know, that could be realistically. Met or done.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think I like, appreciate the way you said that. I know Craig said 15 promises that the mayor has made. There's four really specific areas that we want to focus on, um, with additional revenue and that's, um, dealing with homelessness, um, and our affordable housing, um, crisis, um, investing in, um, inclusive economic development, um, and then workforce development training for our youth to make sure that they're, um, in line for those jobs. And that's, um, we can talk specifics about what we've already been trying to do in terms of investing in youth and workforce development. Um, Mayors launched Thousand Strong, um, which is connecting youth to year-round paid workforce experiences um, in their junior and senior years of high school, trying to really develop those career pathways and work experiences for youth. Um, but that's a it's a huge lift, and it's a big... Um, sort of paradigm shift for um, businesses to understand the value of investing in a 16 or 17 year old and, and getting them engaged in workforce development in high schools. Um, and so that's definitely a program that we can expand and, and work to um, support our, um, our nonprofit community and others to really invest in workforce development and training. Um, and then in terms of um, deal with affordable housing, um, as I'm sure Craig likes to mention, building affordable housing is incredibly expensive in this state. Um, and we need to be able to be creative in what we can, the tools at our disposal in order to build more affordable housing. Um, there's a number of, um, well, it's should not number, a couple initiatives on um, the ballot, which we think will pass, that will be um, providing a lot of state funding. For, Proposition
1: one and two, which yes. we did do policy and appliance on last yes. month. Yes,
2: good. Uh, that will provide some state funding, I think, for to to uh, build affordable housing. But all of those state dollars will require local matching dollars. Um, and so this will allow us to generate those local matching dollars, but also to be creative um, with different models. We have, you know, might not be the biggest fan of the most recent change in tax policy, but there is one um part of the national um uh tax uh, bill that was passed uh, under this president um and that is the creation of opportunity zones um, which the city of sacramento has taken advantage of which allow folks to get a great um get to defer tax payments on um certain i believe capital gains is that right craig um, that if they invest in certain um, opportunity zones. And if we're able to use some of these dollars to potentially buy down for the, the um, interest rate, we can make these areas really attractive um, for developers to put uh, private money into these areas with the requirement that, that those monies be used for affordable housing. Um, what were the other areas you want to I,
1: I think we have a youth and, um, um, economic... Uh, Parity or equality, oh, affordable housing and uh, homelessness. Uh, homelessness.
2: Homelessness. Yes. We've we've had a we've made some great strides with homelessness. Um, we have um, enrolled over 650 folks um, in whole person care. Um, we've moved um, 450 folks into uh, permanent housing solutions. Uh, a lot majority of them through our um, triage shelter, um, and that's great but we need to translate hundreds into thousands because that's the reality of our situation. Um, and there's some really interesting models. I know Craig will uh, mention a, a model in Texas that I think is definitely worth exploring. Um, but we have a lot of access now to resources for services for folks. We need places for folks to be able to transition into permanent housing and our housing stock right now is just so tight. Um, that those locations are really challenging to find. So as you build more permanent supportive housing options for folks, I think we're gonna have a lot more success transitioning people through our triage shelter into permanent housing.
1: So Craig, yes, those four areas that that Zach just, that Zach just uh, talked about where the me- measure you many would go. Your thoughts, you know, feasibility, ones that you think are good ideas, or what's your comments on these those are all
3: ideas? extremely important issues. Um, each and every one of them, but we have very grave concerns with how they're being pursued. Uh, The homelessness issue is a a huge, and and the problem's not getting better, it's getting worse. Anybody with eyes on the street can see that, on any neighborhood in Sacramento can see that. In the two years that uh, the mayor has been in office, it's not getting better. Now, when he began his term, he said, hold me accountable. If I haven't reduced street uh, homelessness by 2,000 people by the end of my second or third year, hold me accountable. I'm not sure what he means by holding me accountable, but I think the only way he's going to achieve that goal is if he buys every homeless person a bus ticket on Greyhound out of town. Uh, and there's a fundamental problem in the approach to homelessness, and that is, is that there is too little focus on helping these people reach transformational change and too much in just immediate uh, uh, relief. And immediate relief is vital, don't get me wrong, but we do not have a good plan in place to intervene and help these people change their lives. The whole person care program, $64 million federal program, to to connect people up with health care, mental health care, but you can't do that when people are living under a bridge. That's not an effective way for change. And that's why I previously cited this extraordinary example, this facility in San Antonio, Texas, called the Haven for Hope, which handles 1,600 homeless people uh, every night, half of them in an outside courtyard, pretty much bare bones, but it's low barrier. You can come in intoxicated. It's safe. They'll give you meals. You can wash your clothes. You can take showers. You can get uh, triage medical attention. And then for those people who are ready to make change, they can transfer over to the other side of the, the wall, if you will, to what they call the transformational campus where there's this amazing concentration of homeless services all organized by, uh, by, by patient management systems that are truly remarkable. Under nonprofit leadership, but a partnership with local state uh, governments, uh, it was built for a $20 million cost uh, and operates on an annual budget of $20 million. Well, we've run the numbers here in the city and county of Sacramento, and we project over the next three years, the city and county governments combined uh, will spend an estimated one half a billion dollars on costs associated with homelessness. That's about 130 million a year. So we're talking about just a small fraction of that to build what would be the largest uh, homeless facility in California, and, 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 and a tiny fraction of that to operate it each year. And in San Antonio, the results have truly been breathtaking. It has brought down street homelessness, the count of homeless on the street, by 85% in its first year of operation. Now, we've had two county supervisors take tours of this facility along with their homeless services staffs. And we really urge city politicians, the mayor and city council members, and their homeless people, uh, staff, to, to, to go as well. This is the the sort of change that can affect people's lives we need to get them to the point of independence because there's no humane or fiscally viable way to build all the permanent supportive housing we would need to house these folks uh, if they remain in a permanent state of dependency we think it's inhumane to do that and we think it's crazy economics
1: okay Zach
2: I just what Craig described is exactly the model um, that we're working on and implementing through our triage shelter. And it is a very effective model. Um, I mean, we've been, I think it was $5 million of city money. We're getting that um, up and running. Um, and, and thing, and we, that's pretty much all we've spent. We've leveraged that and gotten a lot of money from the private sector, from healthcare and that federal grant, which is half federal, half healthcare, not city resources, um, to get whole person care up and running so that we could really do this really intensive outreach and stabilize folks. Um, and it's a phenomenal model and I think it really will work. We just need to work on expanding it, making sure we can reach more folks. Um, and I think there are a lot of people that we can reach, but not everyone is going to be able to flip a switch. I uh, become quick, uh, sorry.
1: No, I'm. I'm sorry. I, I would say, Craig, I, I can tell you a quick rebuttal, and then I want to move on because sure. time is flying.
3: Sure. Um, the homeless facility in Sacramento you to is a city-operated winter triage shelter in North Sacramento. It houses about 200 people. It Vol- has. Uh, it, sorry, Volunteers of America operates it. Uh, uh, well, okay, it, they subcontracted it out uh, at the city's expense. the uh, The fact is, is that there's very, very limited uh, services for the homeless. And the Haven for Hope facility in San Antonio, there are 60 to 70 nonprofit homeless service agencies that are co-located on staff. It's truly remarkable, Zach. If you ever get a chance to uh, find yourself in Texas, go down and take a look at it. It looks like a junior college campus. Uh, and it is immensely popular with, with the population and, and funders down there. And, uh, and I think we're gonna hear more of that. I mean, I really hope that these policies work, we all do. But I'm not terribly optimistic about it. And while the mayor pursues these um, policies, then we'll we'll work in the background, if you will, trying to build support for for an alternative if these fail to, to realize the the benefits that we hope they all do.
1: So I have a question about um, that 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 ties into a question. One of the reasons why we put this this evening together talking about uh, taxes is there was a very interesting op-ed by. Erica Smith at the Sacramento Bee um, in August about you know residents losing trust in government to do what is right, you know, on a, on a federal level, uh, state level, local level, um, and I guess she, to paraphrase, it's like it seems like Measure U could be a slam dunk, but it was interesting how there are some uh, organizations that have uh, spoken out against it, so I was thinking that's interesting. To me, it's um, in California, you know, Everyone realizes homelessness, housing crisis, but then who pays for it? So, I guess my question, that my uh, question would be, you know, how does measure you? Um, and I'm going to start with you, Zach. In terms of, on one hand, the government is responsible for handling these big issues. You know, you have to come up with uh, uh, solutions for homelessness, and you have to be a big part of affordable housing and infrastructure that requires big decisions and often big money. But on the other hand, you know, there's where does that money go? Where do we see it going? How do we know it's being spent in the right places? You know, that fiscal responsibility. So there's obviously big responsibilities, but there's also big um, accountabilities that you have to, you know, hold yourself to for... um, for residents, so how does Measure U address this? I guess does that make sense? I know it's such a big uh, picture thing, but you have big responsibilities, but you also have to, you know, make yourself accountable. How right. does Measure U address all that? Well, I think
2: I think the overall sentiment um, is valid, and one of the things that's really easy to do is to uh, criticize government <laughs> and and, and uh, criticize folks who. Um, you know, providing services, and I'm sure there's always ways to try to squeeze out more efficiency. Um, I think one of the things we can I mean, really be criticized for as a city, sometimes we really struggle to communicate, you know, how important these dollars are and what these dollars are actually doing in some of our neighborhoods. I've run into a number of folks who've said, none of the measure you dollars goes into my community. Well, really, the reason why that community center is open um, for as long as it is and why there's free programming there is because of measure you The reason why parks that I mean and Craig's absolutely right Lamp park has a phenomenal volunteer crew um, That's able to keep that park running smooth But there's a lot of neighborhoods that don't have that sort of support for their parks The only reason why those parks are maintained is because of measure you um, The only reason why our pools are open versus for, for our youth uh, is because of measure you and we sometimes struggle to articulate that. Well, um, is that something you work on? I think that's really what we're trying to do here with measure U. And this is why we've built such a broad coalition, um, from faith leaders to business leaders, to youth advocates, to, um, small business owners, to folks who can see this as a unifying moment for our city and a unifying opportunity to make transformational investments in our future and to bring folks to the table, and to build a really robust accountability matrix that not only will improve how we spend the money, but also will let us communicate um, our successes and what we're doing better because we'll have more folks involved in the process. Um, So that's where I think Measure U can really be a big win for the city is in terms of just dramatically increasing the buy-in of what we invest in for a future in Sacramento here.
1: So Craig, yes, that same question to you in terms of the city having these big tasks and also being accountable. I mean, what's your response to Zach's comments on that?
3: Well, I don't think we've been held very accountable lately. Um, our media is in distress. Sacramento Bee is a pale imitation of its former self. The, uh, the TV news stations cover, cover news about three microns deep. Uh, it's one of the reasons we formed ION Sacramento was to try to fill that vacuum and hold them accountable um, um, but you know there are certain things government does well and, and or can do well and others where it's not so good um, and part of the problem i think is that um, previous mayors and this mayor as well tries to defies the define the city government as a full service city and I'm sorry, but you can't do everything well. And we are a strong believer that they ought to focus on the core critical uh, services and do them excellently. Uh, we believe that's the smart way to do it. Let's, affordable housing is a perfect example of that. Sacramento's current affordable housing project that's under construction is called the Twin Rivers Public Housing Project on Richards Boulevard. It's huge, like it's 450 units. And when the, the fully loaded costs, including all the offsite amenities are added in, this will cost $636,000 for every apartment building unit to build, that will be built. That's not a house. We're not talking about mansions, we're talking about apartments, $636,000. You know, the governor one time, this governor said something really profound. He said, there's not enough money in the world to build affordable housing at taxpayers' expense at these rates. And so that, that's, a, that, that's just a fiction to think that there's enough appetite for the tax levels required to do that. What's critical is we have been killing our housing market, and we've been killing housing construction. And the fastest and easiest and least expensive way to get out from under that problem is to put a moratorium on the very heavy impact fees that are, we charge developers to build, which in this county range from forty-five to $90,000 per home before you turn a spade of dirt. If we were to use some of these cost-saving uh, recommendations from this report to free up resources to to uh, to to put a moratorium on those fees, and frankly, the city doesn't collect that many fees because there's not much being built, that could restart uh, building. That's what a local government can do. We can't change CEQA laws. That's over here, a couple blocks away. Yeah, but we've we can heard do all that. this in so of, many other
1: groundbreaker events. There's so much. It's so yeah. much. But I guess in terms of um, I probably should wrap it up because I know we're, we're, we're getting past the hour mark. But but I'm going to start with you, Craig, in terms of, you know, if Measure U, and I'll flip the question for Zach, if Measure U passes, what would happen for better or for worse? What do you want uh, us to know with the ballot about? If Measure U passes, this is what happens. If it doesn't pass, you know, what, what would happen?
3: If it passes, the money will be vacuumed up for the city's uh, uh, looming pension bill. Uh, The voters will feel very disappointed, and they'll really feel betrayed. And all we'll do is paper over the problems, the fiscal problems of the city, for a few years, and they'll be back in a couple of years, two to three at the most, for another tax hike. Um, Because the problems will simply get worse and worse and worse. If we turn down Measure U, then they will be faced with the prospect of having to exercise a little bit of fiscal discipline. And the mayor said a good thing. He said, you know, when I was in the state senate as the leader of the S- state senate, I had uh, a lot of experience cutting expenses, uh, costs during the recession. We well, have to ask yourself, why did he do that? Did he do that because he wanted government to be more efficient? No, he did that because he was forced to do so, by the economic reality of the recession. Turning down this request for $100 million in taxes is the equivalent of telling our city government, okay, this is your own personal recession down there. You have to rein in expenses. You have to develop cost consciousness for the first time in a long, long time. And our fondest hope is they pick up a copy of our blueprint and start thumbing through it for ideas because there's a load of them in there.
1: Zach, last word. If Measure U doesn't pass, what would happen? uh, we know what would happen, you know, in your view if Measure U passes, but for better or for worse, Measure U passes, Measure U doesn't passes, what do you want us to think about when we're looking at our ballot on that measure?
2: Well, I mean, this ultimately comes down to what level of service um, folks want from their local government. And if Measure U doesn't pass, we blow a $50 million hole in our budget, and we have to have a lot of really tough conversations around City Hall about priorities, but... I don't want to make this a scare task we have so many positions relying on this i could list off all these positions that are in jeopardy if it doesn't pass um that's not what this measure is about this measure is about the future of our city and what we want to invest in as a city and how we want to tackle these challenges of a growing city um, i was very happy to come back to sacramento um to buy a house here in sacramento uh to really see my future as raising a family here in Sacramento because I know we are an optimistic, forward-looking community that really wants to tackle these big challenges as a growing city. And Measure U gives us the capacity and tools to do that. Um, I really hope folks do join this broad coalition of community leaders and vote yes on Measure U.
1: Well, we'll see what happens in less than a month. Uh, But I want to say thank you both. For coming to talk about Measure U, and uh, thank you, audience, podcast listeners. Um, we'll definitely uh, put a link up on on the I Am Sacramento report. We'll put this podcast up, and uh, and we'll see what happens. But thank you both. Thank you all for attending. Thank you, Vanessa. Very much. Thank been you.
0: A pleasure. It. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. Tonight's Policy in a Pint conversation was held on October 15, 2018 at Antiquity Midtown in Sacramento. Many thanks to our panelists, Craig Powell and Zach Yates for joining us. Thanks to Sharon Wilson and Marcy Hose, owners of Antiquity Midtown, for hosting us. Thanks also to Rodrigo Ramirez and Caleb Clark for helping put on this event. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Find out when our next event is by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.